Well, and also today, again, I like to say that for our kids' classes for Explorers and Pathfinders, we just couldn't be happier about the, 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 the opportunity for what all of these boys and girls are receiving in this new series that's begun, this whole new curriculum. So it's time now for those classes to go on today and uh, go to their classes for their time together. Now, also, I'm going to invite you to share in just a brief scripture reading that connects um, our goal as a church body to be a community of the cross with the practical digging in to God's word focus of this month. And to do so, I want to just ask you once again to stand just briefly because we're going to read together uh, this word from Ephesians, very brief reading that connects us to the reason, friends, the reason we can know in our hearts when we gather together in the name of Jesus, God has given all of us a place of meeting at the foot of the cross that is wide open for every believer and is an invitation for all who do not yet know the Lord Jesus personally. That uh, this is the wonderful invitation that God makes available to each of us. The first word is about Jesus. Would you shout out Jesus with me? Jesus. And uh, let's read together this scripture. He himself is our peace. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Together we affirm the both there in Paul's day of writing had to do with a typically not friendly two groups of people, typically not that closely aligned, and that would be the Jews and the Gentiles. You can take that both, though, and you can apply it across the board today to the struggles, the difficulties, the differences that people have with various groups in their lives, and you can say Christ himself is our peace. Those first five words again, would you read them aloud with me? He himself is our peace. And we take this to heart today to say, Lord, make us in the, in the seed form way that we can be as a congregation, make us a living and vital part of the community of your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Today we're turning to a uh, really practical shared approach to beginning to roll out the gold mine of God's word in our going for the gold series, what we've shared are five different areas of where God's word from Genesis to Revelation introduces us to the principle of eternal gold. Oh, we saw last week in a very brief glimpse of the city of gold that of course, anything God ever does in eternity is exponentially and unimaginably greater than, than that which is in the natural arena that we see, and yet God designed, we see this from Genesis 1, Psalm 8, many places, God designed the earth and the heavens to be a place of demonstration of what will be future glory that's unimaginable to us. The Apostle Paul described the future of those who trust in Jesus Christ 
in a, in a very dazzling brief expression in Ephesians 2.7 when he says that in the ages to come, in some Im- unimaginably future place, that he will demonstrate the riches of his grace in his kindness toward us who believe in Christ Jesus. Now, that's one of the reasons why the, the heart of a congregation like this like liberty is open, wide open, to meeting new friends, welcoming, embracing, connecting, growing in the grace of Christ, is that the very nature of our calling as as followers of Jesus is to be people who are enriched by the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We've gotten a good taste of that this morning as as the worship team led us. Speaking and admonishing one another, there is a mutuality, there's a community of the cross, there's a connection in the worship experience that we're all called to share. And then, of course, that text concludes by saying, always giving thanks in a heart full of gratitude to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now I want to ask David Berry to pass out a handout for you today to share in something that's very different because I feel that one of the great values of a congregation where there's a commitment to truth is um, what we often call equipping. And today is kind of an unusual message for us in that uh, uh, there's, there's more in, uh, in your, there will be more in your lap than usually, let me put it that way, that you can choose to partake of. And if you have a pen, fill in blanks as we go along. I'll be glad to, uh, uh, you'll, be glad, you'll be able to do that. Um, I just was thinking as we've just gotten used to these new chairs, uh, we haven't fully equipped the place with pins, so uh, there's some on that back uh, table. Feel free to pop up in the middle of this session if you'd like and run back and get a pen if you don't have one. Um, and, and the purpose here, as we think about the gold principle God gives us in many different applications throughout the Bible, um, we began in January, on the 8th of January, after looking at the treasury of gold in our hearts, giving the gold of our heart to God in worship, We looked at, for two weeks, in Psalm 19, and I told you then we're going to come back to Psalm 19. We'll be coming back to that even right after Easter, and that is that the Word of God is a goldmine. And Psalm 19 opens it up for us, as we saw in January, in a very compelling way by showing the fact that God demonstrated His glory in, in in an absolutely unimaginably vast way in the cosmic universe, Psalm 19 is a psalm about astronomy, you could say, at the first six verses. It's about the astronomical cosmic universe, and then it zeroes in in one short psalm. Amazing. In 14 verses, in one short psalm, it starts with the most vast arena of outer space as a reference, the heavens declare the glory of God, and then it zeroes right in on God's more focused and precise, written, eternal revelation in the Scriptures, 
And the last uh, few verses of Psalm 19 tells us that the Word of God, whether you hold today an open Bible, maybe a Bible that's a printed copy, maybe leather-bound, maybe hardbound, maybe paperback, or you're using one of these devices and you've got a Bible app, and if you haven't found a Bible app yet, run to that Google Play Store or that Apple Store and get yourself an Olive Tree Bible or a Version Bible or the Bible.is or many other great Bible apps that you can bring right on your device and bring up any text of Scripture anytime and be reading your Bible on your tablet or your, or your uh, mobile device. So whatever form of Bible you've got in front of you today, the beauty of that, uh, that telescopic lens of Psalm 19 is that it zeroes in on the fact we needed God's Word written inscribed, eternally settled in heaven, Psalm 87 says, so that we would always have the rock-solid assurance, the invisible, eternal, infinitely wise God has chosen to disclose himself. And in the choosing of self-disclosure, Almighty God gave us his word. Now, when we think about our Bibles, though, there are many different experiences we have. Maybe you have had this experience, and as we think on the handout here of the purpose of personal Bible study, uh, we read Colossians 3.16, and it's kind of a theme for what we're sharing today, but also note that uh, Psalm 1 gives us a picture of two competing paths. We might say two competing visions for life. And the first psalm, by the way, is even shorter than the 19th. It's, it's only six verses. And, and in those verses, we get an astounding insight into the way that God, God's Word shows us a path of life. <laughs> now, so when you think about Psalm chapter 1, we could think of it in a two comparative images and the psalm itself is like a vestibule into the entire book of Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, one of many synonyms in Scripture for the written word of God. In the day that the psalm was written, the written law and the first of the prophetic utterances was all that they possessed, and God gave them that as the template, the Torah literally meant the pointing in the way, the the. The divine finger, Jesus referred to it in Luke 11, the finger of God has come to you. Ever go to a child maybe, or had this experience as a child, where you're maybe a little bit off track, and a, and a, and, and a father puts his finger right in your chest and says, you better stop right there. Well, the finger of God is greater than any father's directive it is, or any mother's directive, the finger of God is him directly giving us insight 
into what it means to grow. And the first psalm gives us competing images. One is a thriving tree, a tree in verse 3, planted by streams of living water that sends its roots deep into the provision of God in the earth and becomes stronger and stronger and stronger as it grows. It's durable, it's strong, it's towering, it's thriving. And the contrast in verses 5 and 6 is the wicked are not so, but they're like the unbeliever. The one who doesn't put his or her trust in the power of the true and living God becomes like chaff that the wind blows away. So that first psalm, the vestibule of the 150 psalms, is is an invitation to the choice between two paths. And that's why, as we think of it this way, I want to make the goal of this workshop today and uh, the goal of this month of digging into how to dig in, uh, the goal is to send the roots, R-O-O-T-S, the roots of my faith in deep in the soil of God's eternal word. So if you want to track with us on some of these fill-in-the-blanks, uh, we'll share that hopefully making it a better take home for you. To send the roots of my faith deep in the soil of God's Word, that's exactly what Psalm 1 tells us. Now, the power of God's Word then um, is signaled, of course, there in more of, a, of an image of, of growing, we might say. And so we're talking about in, uh, in the goal of uh, inductive Bible study, uh, this is an invitation to take that Bible in your lap or in your tablet or on your mobile device or wherever, in whatever forms you use a copy of the Bible and make it for you the access into the very mind and purpose of God. And of course, most of us have had the experience, I know I sure did as a kid, that the first few times you're picking up a Bible, or maybe in a person's life, even after they've had Bible many years, but maybe re- rediscovering, reopening their Bible, um, many of us have had the experience of some perplexity. It's, it's understandable, isn't it? We're looking at um, the Bible is not one book, but it's actually 66 books. And it is 66 books composed by human authors under direct working of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in the text later, to breathe into these human writers the capacity to do something phenomenal, and that is to be the vehicle of recording infallible and errant truth given by God through fallible human beings. And yet, they accomplish it, as we'll see later in the text, as God's method of bringing the disclosure of himself to us. So when we read the words, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we are getting a sense of the immediate need that we all have for the word of God. So number two on your Outline the power of God's word gives us two other examples in the New Testament of how this power is spoken of. Now, one of, one of these um, is, is having to do with the way we receive the word that God sends to us. Now, we could think of it, it's pretty logical, that um, 
that when God chooses to give us Scripture, that in every generation, in every circumstance, across the globe, in every imaginable setting, God's living Word is powerful. And it is personal. And it accomplishes what He intended for it to do. But, That's the sending end, the sending side, we might say. Now, what about the receiving side? So in your notes, the Thessalonians verse, I think, really zeroes in on on this power that is beyond human imagination. But amazingly, this is part of the wonder of why we're talking about going for the gold this year, is that God, God gives us this opportunity to do something many of us, begin to take for granted. And that is, I can open my Bible, and even if I'm not fully understanding what I'm reading, I'm not maybe still working with a difficult text, I don't really even understand what this is, the value of getting into our minds the written Word of God has inestimable power over a vast span of time in the human life and in the human heart. Here's what the text says, and maybe you could read it with me from the screen. Just let's accent this power in Thessalonians. Here they're being told as believers sitting in a church just like like we are, a whole different setting, a whole different generation, uh, and yet it's the Word of God to you here at Liberty Church on March the 5th, 2023, just like it was to those Thessalonians who received the gospel in the first century in the region of Macedonia. So read aloud with me this text from the screen. You received it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, in the, in the, behind the English translation here of performing its work is a Greek expression that parallels the energizing grace of the Holy Spirit. It literally means that God's Word is actively, dynamically working in you who believe. Oh, sure, we know we know, and the reason we need to proclaim it is that we know on a difficult day and under stress, under duress, and challenging circumstances, sometimes even Bible verses that we know by heart, even real simple verses, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, even a simple verse like that, we may deal with that verse and think, well, I just, I don't know how to do that right now. This situation is just squeezing the life out of me. This situation is tough. The beauty of God's Word is that even when humanly we can't perceive this, this text tells us that the power behind it is not human power. It's a power beyond human imagination. It's the energizing power of God. I like the way Dr. Joel Gregory described this, and that's why I included it in your notes in his wonderful book about, oh, 25 or more years ago, Wonderful book called Coming Home to God. Dr. Gregory said the 99 nuclear reactors in the United States generate 30 tons of radioactive material each year. It will take 3 million years for this radioactive waste to decay to the point that it's no longer a threat. Some of these materials... Some of this material, I should have written, is so energetic that nothing we know can hold it. And it will last for millions of years. Yet, when that nuclear 
Material is finally spent. The Word of God will live on. Tear it into a thousand pages, and each page will bring life. Bury it beneath tradition, ignorance, brutal attack, and it will spring back to life. Governments have tried to contain it and suppress it, but the Word always outlives its enemies. Amen? And this is why the preeminence of Jesus Christ in Bible study comes so, so clearly through. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus is meeting with disciples that at the moment had not yet discovered who he was. This beautiful moment, this indescribable and yet quiet, almost casual walk on the road to Emmaus with these two that were troubled about learning that the Messiah had been crucified by the Roman authorities, having been betrayed up and and uh, offered up by the Jewish religious hierarchy, and their hearts were heavy for the terrible loss of the wonderful master, the miracle-working teacher who covered the hills of Galilee with the glory of his in, in, in incandescent teachings and the touch of the mighty power of God, and yet then they'd heard rumors that his body was not in the grave, and the Lord Jesus in risen glory walks along beside them. And when they sat at the table later, and he was disclosing his person to them, that moment, uh, that moment where the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of the eternal, only begotten Son of God, became vividly real to these men at the table as the Incognito Messiah began breaking the bread and giving them wine in their presence. When he'd been brought into the home as a guest, and yet he takes the role gently as the host. And they then, their eyes are opened, and they begin to see. And when they write back and reflect on it later, they say, Did not our hearts burn within us when Jesus opened the Scriptures to us? and made known to us in person what had been already written in the book, in the scrolls, in the Torah, in the Psalms, in the prophets, disclosing himself. Luke 24, 25 to 27 tells us, and then Jesus accents this truth, in another place, in the Gospel of John, we're in, a, in an interrogatory between him and the Pharisees over whether he was violating their law. Jesus chided those religious leaders in John 5.39 when he said, you open your scrolls and you search those scriptures and you search them and you search them and yet you're missing the grand person of the scriptures. You search the scriptures daily. So Jesus was saying, it's not enough just to be kind of a student of the text itself. No, he said, to know the subject of the text, you must have within you what only can be given by God, and that is the new birth. And he says, you are searching the scriptures, and these are they which testify of me, exactly what those travelers in Emmaus had to understand. And it's why John R.W. Stott writes, and again, on your, on your handout there, 
since Scripture concerns salvation, and salvation is through Christ, Scripture is what? Say it with me. Full of Christ. Here's the beautiful invitation that we're given in God's Word to inductive Bible study. It is to begin to say, oh, you mean God didn't just leave this in the realm of some unfathomable mystery. No, He invites us, and if the word inductive is uh, maybe not on the tip of our tongue, that's not the important point, we're using the word inductive to simply speak of going to the text, prayerfully knowing that God is disclosing himself to us in the written word of God, and he's chosen to give us this eternal treasure that will never be exhausted, the power of which will endure before beyond all time and eternity, it will prevail so that even when we read a difficult passage, we can say, I want the word of God in my life. Well, what is inductive Bible study? And I think a good way to think about it here and as we go through this is that inductive Bible study uses the Bible itself, those three words could go in that blank there in the middle of that page. Inductive Bible study uses the Bible itself. An astounding thing. The Bible itself as the primary source of information about the Bible. Now the reason that's true is because of the, un- the unique diversity of ways that God chose to make his revelation clear and plain. Then the next paragraph The word inductive is that first blank there, inductive Bible study, draws you into personal interaction with the Scripture and thus with the God, capital G-O-D, of the Scriptures. As you're writing that in, think about what that means, that in a total composite whole, 66 books, God has given the eternal measure of his his self-disclosure so that just like those at the road to Emmaus, when Jesus began to show himself, it all illuminated the entire panorama of law, prophets, and psalms. It opened up the scriptures. God has given the scriptures so that in our lives, on a progressive daily basis, He will be opening them to us. And what a treasure that is. On the Mayflower in 1620, when John Bradford was leading what really many Americans don't realize was a small congregation. Hey, I'm a fan of small churches. It kind of makes me feel good. Uh, Dr. Bradford, John Bradford, was leading a congregation that numbered no more than 102 people on the Mayflower. And in the writing of the Mayflower Compact, when they reached the shore of Massachusetts and in the early days of establishing and carving out a community in the wilderness, Bradford was heard to pray many, many times as the big copy of the Bible would be closed at the close of a service. Now, Lord, we pray you prepare our hearts to open your word to us again with fresh hunger. That is, open your word to us. That's a wonderful way to pray. Open your word. 
When we leave a morning service at our church, one of the prayers of our heart should be in the next six days, God, open your word to me more. Open my heart to the word and open the word to me. Back in the middle of that paragraph where I so rudely left you, uh, the God of the scriptures so that your beliefs are based on a prayerful understanding and legitimate interpretation of scripture, Truth that transforms you when you live by it. I love that description by Dr. By K. Arthur in How to Study Your Bible. It's very basic, very practical. And what K. Arthur is writing is that in order for us to interpret a legitimate interpretation of Scripture, that's how we get the truth that transforms you when you live by it. And one reason that paragraph is so good by K. Arthur is that it compresses into one paragraph the reason why, and this is exciting, every believer, every child of God can become a student of his or her Bible. I referenced earlier when I was a kid, the first Bible that I was given that was like my Bible, I remember it very vividly, and I remember it sat on my shelf for a, a, a while, and one day I was really curious, I'm going to start reading that, I carried it to church every Sunday, but I hardly ever opened it. And I And so I sat down, I remember this very vividly, the house that we lived in and everything, and I sat down and I started to open it up, and I said, I'm going to start at Genesis 1, I'm going to begin to read it. So I started to read it, I was about 11 years old, and I was trying to get through that. You know, like many of us, I got to about chapter 5, where the the generations of Adam are listed in a long list of names, and I kind of bogged down a little bit that first time. And all of us have those experiences. And one of the reasons that inductive Bible study is so exciting is that it shows us whether you're 11 or you're 91, you can start now with the gift of the, the fact that God has made it accessible to us. Here's the thing that's notable. It's not some super mystical book that you, that you have to have a decoder ring to read. It's not, a, it's not from Star Wars. It's, it's not from some weird, mystical uh, place in the heart of the earth. No, God has given it to us to be understood. Notwithstanding the fact that there's a lot of things we have trouble understanding. But all the things, even the things that we find most obscure, you know, the deep uh, recesses of the book of Ezekiel and the prophecies of the, of the future millennial temple or in the in the sacrificial offerings of Leviticus or some other place that you might find tough sledding as you read, remember God gave it for a specific purpose in his total self-disclosure. And even if I don't understand it today, inductive Bible study gives me the tools to keep digging and keep digging as I model the prayer of Bradford. Open, let fresh light be open to us from your word. Now, the next part under letter B, what's the goal of inductive Bible study? The, the center of those three verses, as we move through that quickly, is Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you are my desire to be my disciples, then you must come to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, then you become those kind of disciples. The key word in John 8, 31 would be continue Get into it. Dig into it. And it reminded me of a wonderful statement. Look at it. It's, uh, oh my, it's over almost 500 years old. But what a great statement it is. You know, some good statements don't lose their zest after 500 years. And here's Martin Luther almost 500 years ago saying this. And nobody could have said it more clearly than Martin Luther here. For some years now, 
I have read through the Bible twice every year. If you picture the Bible to be a mighty tree, a mighty tree, and every word a little branch. If you picture the Bible to be a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of these branches because I wanted to know what it was and what it meant. Isn't that good? Martin Luther says, the only way that this illuminating that became so famous in Martin Luther's life when he discovered that truth, and it just dawned upon his soul directly from Romans 1.17. Therefore, the just shall live by faith because in the good news of the gospel, God has given a righteousness that comes into the heart, not a righteousness that we can make of ourselves. And that was revolutionary for Martin Luther. But you know, that's a Bible verse that Martin Luther had probably read 200 times before it illuminated for him, before it was opened to him. Remember, there's an incredible value of reading the Word. On the next page, the principles of inductive Bible study. Um, the three principles that stand out here very quickly are very useful for all of us to remember. And, and that is, observation answers the question. Observation answers the question, what does the passage say? Observation answers the question, what does the passage say? So the second part is, interpretation answers the question, what does the passage mean? Those are separate questions. And sometimes arguments develop among people. Well, people say, everybody argues over the Bible. Nobody really knows what it means. That's actually not true. <laughs> the truth is, the truth is that people argue about almost everything. That's the truth. But, but the, the problem isn't the Bible. The problem is that we're misunderstanding the way language is used. And the first task of, a, of an open-minded, open-hearted, honest person who wants to understand what, how has God disclosed his, his identity here? What can I learn about God in this Bible verse? And the first question is, what does that text actually say? What does it actually say? Uh, there's many funny examples of people saying the Bible says something. When you look at the text, that's not what the Bible says. So let's go directly to the text. Interpretation is what does it mean? And then application, of course, is how does this apply to me? How does it apply? How does the meaning of this passage apply to me? We just heard John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. How does, how does that verse apply to you and me this coming week? Well, that's a different question than what does it say? Let's look at what does it say. Let's be sure we know what it says. And then we work on understanding correct interpretation on many levels and many tools. And uh, that's part of what we'll be sharing a bit of some tools that help you. And then how does it apply? So when you think of it this way, uh, we get a handle on observation by first, obviously, we begin with prayer. And uh, we can't underestimate that. First, first Corinthians 2.12 tells us that God... God delights for us to pray for insight. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, the second verse that I've included in that uh, outline, the Bible says that God has given to all of us in Christ 
The gift of the Holy Spirit that we might come to know the things which he's already freely given us. If you could draw a circle around 1 Corinthians 2.12 in the middle of that page and think about this, a safe deposit box at your local bank is a great way to think about 1 Corinthians 2.12 because in a safe deposit box at your local bank, you've got valuables in that safe deposit box and when you go to see the banker and they open the, the, they open the, the secure door and they take you in to get your box out, the banker puts in her key and you put in your key. And without your key, the banker can't open it. With your key, the banker is authorized now to let that box be opened. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can take the key. The key of inquiry, the key of an open heart, the key of faith, the key of trust. And we go to God's word and we say, Lord, I need fresh application of the life-giving power of the word of God in my life today. Here's my personal key. Inductive Bible study is simply a, maybe a longer way of saying digging into God's word for yourself. Now, we're going to wrap up this section with just a quick overview of context because it's kind of fun. You identify the context, and this one is kind of, kind of neat. It's obvious in every area of life. I was listening to uh, the former Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia in an interview uh, years before he passed talking about the value of the text of the Constitution. And what I was struck by was what, what uh, the Supreme Court Justice was saying is the text doesn't change. Our task as judges is to understand what the text actually says. And that became kind of a a hallmark for that particular justice because there's some other people in the judiciary that don't share that conviction, obviously. So he was talking about how valuable it is to just study the text and find what does the text actually say. And one of the ways we do that is looking at the what we call next door neighbor verses. So you identify the context because the context in general is the environment in which something dwells. So in Bible study, the context includes the words, the phrases, and sentences that surround that verse. What's next to it? I think Dr. Howard Hendricks put this so well in his book called Living by the Book when he said, whenever you study a verse or a paragraph, always pay a visit to its neighbors. Don't you love that? Always pay a visit to its neighbors. I'm thinking of a classic text in the Bible that many people totally misquote and misunderstand because they simply don't pay attention to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to that sometime. That's a fun one. And then Dr. Hendricks said, whenever you get lost, I love this, climb a contextual tree <laughs> and, again, and gain some perspective. Well, here's a classic example, letter B on your handout. Uh, if you look at the word trunk, you might ask, well, what is a trunk? Now, I had, a, I had a, uh, a Greek teacher who would tell us when we would say something about how is this word used, he would say, um, when you look at a word in the Greek, don't ask yourself, what does this word mean? Ask yourself, what did this writer mean when he used this word? And that's, that's a key. So a trunk, what's a trunk? Well... What's a trunk? Somebody shout out, what's a trunk? In your car, those of us who still drive sedans, and <laughs> how many of us, right? Uh, so that's a trunk, the rear compartment. What's, a, what's another trunk? 
an elephant snout. What's another trunk? A tree trunk. Then there's swimming trunks, right? And then there's a big trunk, like a big uh, a box, a big crate that you might keep clothes or valuables in. And actually, uh, my unabridged dictionary had 14 different definitions of a trunk. One, a couple of them were obscure nautical terms. So the question is, how does the writer use that word trunk? And the answer is that the context rules. So in the inductive study, basically what we're saying is, this, this workshop today, the purpose of this was to give us tools to think about how do we all approach the text? And when you think of it this way, um, going down to number four, deal with the text objectively is a good place, is a good way to summarize it. Let the text speak for itself. Under number four, the truth and the context never change. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The truth and the context never change. And God's word will minister to you personally. It will. Another excerpt from K. Arthur. It's a living word, but to discover the context, you must first look at the text objectively. And here's what she said. To discover the repeated emphasis of this author. Then when you personalize the word, you'll know you're applying it correctly. And then for the sake of your take-home, you can zip down to the very last little paragraph. Let me give you those last fill-in-the-blanks. And that is the very end of that summary of asking the who, what, where, why, and how questions. At the very end is this helpful quote from K. Arthur. Every part of the entire process of inductive Bible study is based on asking who, what, when, where, and how kinds of questions. Now, I know when we think about that as we go, we got a great model for that in the opening words of the Gospel of Luke. That's exactly what Luke said was his task. When the opening verses of that beautiful Gospel, the declaring of the person of Jesus, Luke writes in Luke 1-3 that my task now, here's, think of it like this. Here's a Bible writer chosen sovereignly by God to be an instrument of the infallible giving of eternal Scripture, and the very words he uses is a model for you and me at our kitchen table, at your office, in your quiet study, out under a tree, in a, in a park, wherever you may be having some quiet time with God. The very same principle that Luke said, and that is, he said in my task was to investigate all the things that had already been reported so that we might know, Luke said, so that all of us might know the certainty, that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now that uh, very simple technique, I want to know the who of this Bible verse. Who does it speaking about? Who wrote it? Who is it speaking to? The what's, the why's, the when's, and the how's. And we get to that really crucial point in all of our lives where actually what we really find out is in all of our lives that the big how question, the big how question is how can this be activated in my life is how the garden 
of godly growth is cultivated in our lives, but the raw material, the, 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 the tools and the enriching soil and the nutrients are all from God's word. I want to ask you to pray with me now that we might think about this kind of quick crash course in thinking about how we dig into the Bible could be a springboard for us to say, Lord, open your word in my life, not in a casual way, but in an ongoing investigation from my soul for what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. Lord, we know as we bow in prayer right now that there are needs within this house today that as we go out into a beautiful day, one of the most strengthening and empowering things can be a, a connection of personal prayer. Somebody that's a confidential listening ear to share a problem or a need or a concern and then to quietly pray and come into an agreement to say, Lord, give me, give this heart of mine fresh insight into how to trust you with this need. You could be here today and have some question in your mind or heart about what it really means to believe in this Jesus. What, what, what does that mean to really be an active follower of the Lord Jesus? Oh, I've seen so much religious hypocrisy. I've seen so many problems in churches. I've seen so many contradictions in Christians' lives. I'm not even sure what to believe. What we've talked about today in this quick open Bible workshop is, is the invitation for you to know that the living Word of God was given to us in a rational way so that every mind and heart from the tiniest child to the oldest adult is invited to discover the beauty of God's Word. So the invitation is so wide and so strong and so warm. Come to Christ. Jesus himself put it this way. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So we invite you. If you have a desire to pray with someone personally in a confidential way, I want to, I want to resolve some questions in my heart and mind. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing to say, God, we bring it to the cross and we thank you for your victory through your resurrection that the Holy Spirit can be poured into our hearts so that this Bible, oh, this Bible that looked like a, just looked like a, a book of mystery to me becomes an awesome place of adventure and discovery because of the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.